This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from City's Week. It's your club and this is your show. So a hard-fought win against Brighton on a weekend where other teams at the top of the table all dropped points helped Manchester City close the gap on top spots. Meanwhile, a bit of a boring stalemate against Borussia Dortmund was enough for Pep Guardiola's side to confirm themselves as group winners in the Champions League. So not a bad week, all told. But there were a couple of bumps in the road for us to discuss on this week's Blue Moon podcast. We'll look at the goalkeepers, with Stefan Ortega picked ahead of Edison in midweek, and that's after the Brazilian maybe could have done better in a couple of moments in the weekend. And we'll also be dragged kicking and screaming back into the discussion of penalty takers after Riyad Mahrez failed from the spot for the second time in a fortnight. Also on today's show, to mark the Rainbow Laces week, we'll hear from some LGBTQ plus city fans to get an understanding of their experiences of being in the Etihad. We'll also be joined by Neil from Beyond the 90 LCFC to help us preview this weekend's trip to the King Power. So I'm David Mooney and for this week's show, I'm joined by Goal.com's Jonathan Smith. Hello. And city fan Karen Murray. Hi there. So uh, let's uh, let's start with um, the uh, the two games this week. And uh, John, I called it a dull performance in Dortmund, um, and I'm I'm wondering if that's a little bit unfair because I kind of wonder if it was dull by design. They only needed a point to win the group. They got a point. They got out there without any major worries. Yeah, it was it was a controlled performance, and I think Pep was trying a few things in in that line. Up, experiment, experiment a little bit. He had obviously Alvarez and Holland, which we've seen a couple of times, but I, I, uh, you know, not not too often. It's just I think it was a bit of a test to see exactly how that would work. Um, yeah, and a couple, couple of wide players, Cancelo obviously playing a little bit further up. We saw that against Liverpool. I'm not sure it's quite working just yet. Um, and obviously he went off at half time. So. I thought I thought it was an opportunity to try a few things and just to be sure of getting that top spot. And um, although it wasn't the most exciting game, uh, yeah, it was it was useful. Yeah, they did both of those things, didn't they? They tried a few new things and they got top spot, so yeah. uh, we can't really complain. Um, by contrast, though, Kieran, uh, Brighton was quite an interesting game, um, and I'm wondering why why you think City had so many problems, kind of breaking Brighton down. Was it was it simply that Brighton pressed high and went man to man? Do you think? Uh, that definitely fed into it, yeah. Um, I think Pep mentioned tiredness, didn't he? A little bit as well. He's, he he thought that um, he thought that Hallam was looking a bit tired, um, and I think the schedule's been a bit it, it's it's been a bit stop start, hasn't it? Um, with the Arsenal game being postponed and um, the Queen's death postponements and things, so uh, I just don't think that the rhythm has been as natural this season. It feels a little bit disjointed. Um, but in terms of Brighton's tactics, I thought I thought the man-to-man approach um, really, I mean, not for the three points, but it really paid dividends for them in certain ways, other than, um, you know, a mad assist and a moment of brilliance from, from Ederson and Haaland, uh, a penalty which was a little bit dubious due to VAR, and then a moment of individual um, brilliance from De Bruyne. Um, I thought the mark and the player's, out of the game and following their um, tails and chasing their shadows uh, really did pay off for Brighton in, in a way and then I thought Trossard was great um, and they just they just gave us a run around a little bit it, it was nice to leave with those three points it was great when De Bruyne scored because you could kind of mentally clock out of the game a little bit because um, they were they were running us a, a little bit ragged at times Yeah, it's not often is it John that, that uh, opposition teams have more possession especially at the Etihad uh, than City yeah, I I think Brighton obviously have uh, been well coached under Graham Potter before, 
Uh, and Deserbi's a well-respected coach uh, coming from Italy. And, uh, you know, I think those players are attuned to going to difficult places and, and having confidence. Um, and they, certainly in the second half, they were they were played like that. They're not afraid to have the ball. They're not afraid to uh, to press high up the pitch and put City under pressure. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a big test. You know, Bright, Brighton have obviously won at Old Trafford, got a good result at Anfield. So... I yeah I think they enjoy these big tests against the bigger teams and um, so although it wasn't you know I, it wasn't a classic of home Premier League games from this season you wouldn't pick that one out I think that was as you know a, as good a win as they've had this year yeah I was going to say Kieran when you when you kind of get through it all and you you kind of assess it like that actually coming away even though like three one looks like a comfortable kind of swap the other other team away performance uh, but actually City have done really well to come out of that. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Uh, wasn't there some record they broke with that? Like, they'd scored three goals at home for 10 games in a row or something. First team to ever do that. There was some some record like that. And when you looked at it, they, they, you know, they put a graphic together and there were just some really, really impressive results and, you know, some absolute wallopings that they'd given teams. And then you saw that one and it was like, having been there and witnessed it in the flesh, um, it was, it, you know... Three goals kind of flattered City in a way. I think they were good enough for the win. And I mean, we're saying this till we're blue in the face this year, aren't we? The Haaland factor, um, you know, it paid useful um, getting get, get a brace. Yeah, um, do you think that's it though? Is it? Is it? Is that what's, what's getting City through some of these games like that? I, I don't think so solely. And in fact, you could probably argue that Brighton's decision to go man-to-man was down to the Haaland factor for their money because they're thinking City are going to be playing with a more rigid, you know, number nine figure now. Uh, if they man-to-man mark and mark everybody else out of the game, you know, we're, we're going to kind of have Haaland just sort of stuck up there with no service because everybody else has kind of been chokeholded by um, by their marking strategy, um, which is why I think Pep kind of called that spine over and said to, to Ederson, you're just going <laughs> to need to hoof, that's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, hoof that down there and watch the big man with his strength and finishing and composure. Um, so no, I actually don't think it was the Haaland factor alone. And in fact, you know what, for all his unbelievable um, strengths and attributes and what he's produced so far this season, um, I, I don't think it's him alone. And as Pep keeps kind of alluding to, he'd be nowhere without his mates. Um, so the service that he's been getting has been um, has been incredible. But what Brighton tried to do was to stop his service by like just absolutely choking everybody. What was Pep used a really strange phrase, didn't he? That they follow you to the toilet um, when they mark man to man. And, you know, they, that's how exhaustive they were in their approach. And um, maybe the Haaland thing did pay off for us and I mean we're going to come on to it I'm sure but you know his penalty was just absolutely exceptional and um, yeah no um, I don't think it was him alone but it, it really did help um, to play around when, when they were so rigid in their tactics yeah, sorry. I've just I've just got this this image now of uh, of Harland and his uh, kind of melded Norwegian Yorkshire mank accent. Just saying, I'd give it ten minutes before you go in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't yeah, think he'll do a stinker for sure. Won't he? <laughs> I don't think anyone else would have scored that goal. To be fair, though, um, over the I mean, top. I'm talking. No, I'm talking about the second one, the penalty. The penalty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, just while we're on Haaland, uh, John, uh, and the penalty as well, did uh, did the officials get in the wrong way round? Um, because match of the day seemed quite um, 
sure that Bernardo in, um, was a little bit to you know to blame for initiating the contact, and it might not have been that much of a penalty. But then the uh, the one with uh, with the goalkeeper on Harland seemed nailed on. Yeah, I, I I try not to write or speak too much about VAR because it is boring for a lot of people who who just say, well, that's how it is. Get on with it. Um, but yeah, so that first one, obviously, we have little TV screens in front of us, and I'm watching. I'm watching the first one, and people are saying, "Is it? Is it?" You know, fans who are sitting sit next to me, and I'm saying, "Yeah, that's he's going to give this his pen," and then he doesn't give it, and you're like, oh, oh, right, "Okay, okay. yeah." <laughs> and then the second one, I said, "No, I don't think he's." You know, no, I don't think if he didn't give the first one, he's not going to give this one. And then, then you know, by the time before I've even finished the uh, the sentence, he's pointing them over to the. He's pointing the referee over to the big screen. Uh, to how, the, to how, the long, screen. How, how long did it take you to say that sentence? Because like, it's like two and a half minutes that the game was going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> it's just, yeah, I just, it's like the handballs we see all, you know, um, there's a couple in midweek. I just don't know what the rules are. So I can't, you know, if I say anything, I'm in trouble. Okay, fair enough. Uh, all right, all right, Jose. Um, <laughs> let's let's talk goalkeepers then, John, because uh, Ortega started uh, against Dortmund. Um, I mean, just in terms of a, of a performance, how do you think he did? Yeah, I thought he was really good. Um, obviously, very noisy in Dortmund, um, and City didn't change the way they played. They passed it back to the goalkeeper. He looked very relaxed, um, which I know. It's probably where we are watching City these days, but that's my first thought. Not not about the saves he made, you know. Yeah, about he how can he, pass it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he looked. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't put a foot wrong um, in terms of saves. He obviously, kept a clean sheet. A couple of comfortable saves, I would say. Uh, yeah, it was an interesting choice. I didn't see that one coming, but I did. I, I did think at the start of the season because of this calendar with the World Cup in it, the Carabao is way back in. In November, I did think that's a long time for a backup keeper, such a highly rated one, to not have a game. Um, and I wondered if he, if there would be one way he might squeeze him in. Um, didn't, I, yeah, I thought it might be game five of Champions League potentially because they might have nothing riding on it. But this game did have something riding on it, definitely. Um, so yeah, it was a big surprise, but I thought he was pretty faultless. Yeah, um, I mean, if you want to get him a game before November, last week of October is the time to do it, isn't it? That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, just <laughs> yeah. about. Um, Kieran, is is there a, a bigger picture element to this? Because um, there's been qu- there were question marks over Edison at the weekend, given uh, Trossard's shot kind of went through him, and uh, there was that moment in the first half where he just passed it to Danny Welbeck, and I, I know he got the assist for for the Harlem goal with a, a beautiful play over the top, but there was a there was a couple of moments where you're thinking that Edison maybe needs to sharpen up at weekend. Yeah, do you know, I didn't think this at all, really, until the show, until now. Um, but, yeah, I, you, mean, you could be onto something. I think Ortega was signed because Ederson needs, you know, more firm competition, I think. I, I'm sure we can all agree to that. Um, Zach Steffen, whilst he put in some good performances and made some good st- saves last season, um just had mistakes in him and you sort of knew um after the FA Cup semi-final last season that he probably wouldn't play for the club again so when Ortega came available um again it kind of reminds me of the Akanji transfer a little bit that sort of shrewd business from picking somebody up um who was available from the Bundesliga and you know coming with good ratings and and ranked quite highly and 
Yeah, I mean, Ederson probably more so than when Stefan was there or any other previous um, number two goalkeeper. He, he will be looking over his shoulder a little bit and thinking, you know, I, I, I better sharpen up. I think Ederson is off to a pretty good start this season with his hands anyway um, and his distribution. Like, I was saying this earlier, actually, apart from... Like it's very, very rare that you see Ederson, you know, make a howler of a pass like that. Um, I can remember one at Anfield where Salah um, scored from it. Is that, am I right? Yeah, but um, that, that was more of a, he came off his line, that was more of a clearance. That, that's it, it yeah. yeah. So I, I was saying earlier, like, I don't think I remember him with no pressure, just, you know, kicking the ball out and making a pass. Um and was that one at Old Trafford? Uh, that was a ah uh, yes, that's that was right. A bad one. Oh yeah, just before lockdown. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, that's you're right. Three years, it's, it's three years ago. That now. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it is very it's rare. Right. It's really rare. Yeah. So, I mean, you never want to see his distribution fall away because, it, like, what an unbelievable strand of our game we have, uh, and string to our bow that Ederson can pick a pass from you know wherever on the pitch to whoever he, he wants. Um, so to give that away well back, I would like to think that it, it wasn't enough to have him dropped. And I agree with what Johnny's just said there about how long Ortega's kind of had to stay on the bench because the Carabao's been so late in the day. Um, so maybe he is kind of priming him for uh, the Carabao, which is next week, I believe, is it? Um, so against Chelsea. Yeah. yeah, giving him a run out, um, seeing what he's like, giving him a little taste in a game that you know was worth something, but was kind of wrapped up too. Uh, and there was a little bit of sentimentality attached to it as well. I think didn't Ortega come out and speak after and saying he was glad to have the shot, you know, in Germany going back to play against, you know, a team from his home country or whatever, where he was signed from. Uh, and he was quite grateful for that. So I don't think Pepper really does sentimentality that way t- too often, but um, maybe it was a slight message to Ederson, but really it, I think just it was to get him primed for the Carabao and for the, uh, for the games to come where he might be uh, used more predominantly. Yeah, certainly uh, you would expect, uh, John, that Edison would come back in for weekend uh, and then maybe for the Sevilla game. I mean, maybe for the Sevilla game, Guardiola's got a bit of a decision to make, whether it's Ortega or uh, or Carson, you know. Yeah, I would expect quite a few changes for Sevilla because there literally is nothing that can happen in that game. Seville can't qualify for the Europa... Um, sorry, can't not qualify for the Europa League. City can't not finish top. So I think there'll be a few players getting a run out Cole Palmer, I would uh, hope to start. Calvin Phillips might, maybe, might just come back in time. It would be great to see some of the young fullbacks as well. Maybe Rico, Rico Lewis does look really good when he's had the chance. Um, maybe Sergio Gomez. So I think I, I think there'll be a few, like he, you know Alvarez as well. I think there'll be quite a few changes for that one, and I wouldn't be surprised if Ortega's in in for that one as well. Not Carlson. Mm. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, but uh, but I mean, there's, there, is there a situation where Ortega could replace Edison as number one by the end of the season? Do you think, or is it very much a case of um, he's just giving him some game time at the moment? No, I think the competition is stronger than it was. But I, you know, you go back to the Anf- uh, Liverpool game at Anfield. That save from Edison to Salah should have maybe have been the difference and got got City a point. It was that was a brilliant save. Um, yeah, the, it was. He was a, he was at fault, I thought, for the Trossard goal. But you know, take it back to what Brighton were trying to do. They're they're, they're forcing it back to the one to the one player who can't go to the toilet. And you know, <laughs> which which goalkeeper in the world would you, would you want that to be? And yeah. which which goalkeeper in the world 
could provide uh, an assist in under those circumstances. I, you know, we, you choose Edison every single time, um, yeah. and it's just phenomenal. Yeah. Um, now, in terms of choosing, we're going to talk about uh, penalties. Uh, but uh, before we do, um... it's uh, 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 <laughs> on City's missed penalties under Pep Guardiola. <laughs> so, uh, John, I'm going to let you uh, pick first. Uh, you know the drill by now. Six yeah. questions, one to six. Pick a number. Which one are you having? Uh, number one. Number one. In 2019, Raheem Sterling missed a penalty before the VAR had it retaken for encroachment, only for Sterling to then miss again and <laughs> score the rebound. Who were the opponents? I think that was Wolves. It was Wolves. 1 0. Karen? Uh, number two, please. Number two, which player went on to score a hat-trick in a game where he missed two penalties while the score was nil-nil during Pep Guardiola's first season at City? Aguero, I think it was against Stau Bucharest, was it? It was against Stau Bucharest. He, uh, he missed two penalties, then scored three. Um, final score, 5-0. So, 1-1. Nice, uh, nice, good competitive start to this. More, uh, more <laughs> conversions than City penalties. Anyway, uh, gone over to you. <laughs> Uh, number six. Uh, number six. Okay, here we go. Who missed the penalty in the shootout that knocked City out of the League Cup at West Ham last season? Oh. I think it may have been Phil Foden. It was Phil Foden. 2 Ooh. 1 to John. Oof. Okay, Kieran, uh, three, four, or five left. What are you having? Uh, four, please. Number four, during Pep Guardiola's first season, which current City player missed from the spot at the Etihad while playing for the opposition because he slipped and kicked the ball twice, meaning that his goal was disallowed? Oh. Oh, shit. Uh, and no, uh, Mares. It was Riyad Mares. Oh. Bless him. Well done. I didn't get oh. it go. So, uh, John, it's all on this. It's 2-2. Two, two. Three or five, what are you having? Uh, five. Number five. Name one of the two teams that City have missed the most penalties against during Pep Guardiola's reign as manager. Um, it's got to be Liverpool, mm-hmm. isn't it? Liverpool are one of them. Missed three against them. Uh, do you know the other one out of interest? Uh, Wolves? No, it's Tottenham. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep missing against Liverpool and Spurs. Uh, three each on that one. So, uh, Kieran, you need this one uh, to uh, to make it a three-all draw. Um, which player scored a penalty just against Tottenham in 2021 after saying he'd take the next one following misses from Ilkay Gundogan, Raheem Sterling and Kevin De Bruyne earlier that season? Rodri. It was Rodri, and it was yes. a terrible penalty. Yeah. Now I don't I, that one either. Yeah, it was behind closed doors, John, that's why. It's, uh, I don't yeah. remember Rodri taking it, but where, where, where did it go? Down the middle? Uh, no, bottom left, I think. Um, and Lloris went bottom left and managed to somehow not keep it out. I feel like a fraud here. I, only, I, I wouldn't have got two of Kieran's. Uh, it's oh. all right, though, because it's uh, it's finished 3-3, which means <laughs> yeah, we've got to the tie-break yeah. question. Oh. Um, John, you okay. went first, so I'm going to let you take a guess first. Um, actually, no, I'm going to let Kieran take a guess first because you had the advantage of, uh, of picking first. Um, how many penalties, not including shootouts, have City missed in all competitions while Pep Guardiola has been manager? Closest wins, Kieran. 25. John? John, I, I, I thought I saw something the other day after the latest one. It was 25 as well. You're both right, it's 25. So we will call this an absolute stone-cold draw. Yes. 
Oh God, I can't believe we got them all right. That must be the first time that's ever happened, yeah. David. Yeah. Podcast history in the making, that. <laughs> oh. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Now we have a complete draw on the quiz. Um, Kieran, when it comes to penalties and, and, and City, it's one scored and one missed this week. Um, what's the difference, do you think, when, when Haaland steps up at the moment compared to anybody else? Um, well, I've long held the theory that one of the reasons City miss so many under Pep is that they are the absolute epitome of a team. Um, he has them drilled to play for each other, to fight for each other. Um, even particularly in the last couple of years when it's been the false nine, uh, there's been no sort of lead star man as such. Um, and they all play around. And when it comes to the limelight being on them, they, they seem to fluff their lines uh, and don't like it when they're on their own to take it. So that's been my theory why it's missed. But now we've got an absolute bona fide superstar um, who's just inhuman and, and seems to seems to exist in a different realm from any of us. Um, so he's got this. I mean, you, I, I thought you could tell he was nervous and I read a brilliant article in the Times, I think it was, um, about, you know, the expert penalty takers and why cities sort of don't have those um, because they don't see a penalty as a separate thing that they can kind of um, zone in on. De Bruyne will take a shot like he's taking a shot, whereas Haaland, you can see him, he grabs the ball, he waits until the referee is all ready, then he puts it on the spot. He's got a little process, he's got a step-by-step strategy to take penalties with, uh, and none of the rest of our players seem to have that. And as I say, he he exists in this different realm. He's an absolute bloodthirsty goal scorer and a natural-born killer at that. So when he lifts the ball and he is so, so dying to score... Um, he's just got this process and, and he exists in a world where he, he thinks and believes he's going to score, where I think that the rest of our players seem petrified by it because they're so used to being in this team environment that they hate being out there on their own uh, and, and expected to step up, you know? Yeah, I read that. Um, and I mean, without being too kind of pop psychology about it, like, yeah. is it not just bollocks? Like, is it, is it not just like, it is a shot at goal. It is like, these are all good players. They should be able to put the ball down on, you know, on the spot and, and find the net without without having a process. Yeah. I mean, you'd think so, wouldn't you? Like, it's, it seems to be the easiest thing in the world. I mean, um, these are professional footballers and some of the best, uh, you know, at their craft in the world. Um so yeah, I mean it shouldn't it shouldn't boil down to psychology and and nerves really when you just think yeah I mean you're paid to kick a football and hopefully score from it you know when it's when it's such so close range and it's just you one on one um but yeah I don't know I, I don't know what it is that's my theory anyway that they're so used to being in, t- in a team that when the the nerves come on them um that they they can't do it it's yeah. weird isn't it because you used to. When, when a penalty was awarded, you used to celebrate as if, you know, it was a surefire goal. Um, and <laughs> Those were the days. Now, yeah, you just don't. It's it's like, I, this might not this might not happen. Like, um, you never really get the feeling, even, I have to admit, even with Haaland, because I'm so used to being disappointed. Um, I don't I don't always know that it's going to be surefire. I mean, he's missed a couple of Dortmund as well, hasn't he? Um, 
so yeah you, you just you, you're never certain long yeah, gone are the to... days of Elano Balotelli or Yaya when you just were were certain that it was going to be in the net like yeah we need uh, we need a bigger sample size for Haaland he's only taken two and scored two so we need to mm-hmm. we need we need in order to have confidence we maybe need to see him take 20 and like see what see what the result is of that um yeah. if Haaland isn't on the pitch John um does City have a problem well I I, I thought Gunnigan had kind of put his Penalty problems behind him, but I think I think Mares, you know, Pep lets them choose him choose who takes the penalties, and I think Mares is he's just going through a, a bad patch at the moment, and he <laughs> kind of I would expect to see what he the pen at, pen at Copenhagen and the one against Dortmund just to give himself a bit of confidence, and actually you know it's done the op- exact op- opposite, yeah. um, so I don't think he'll be on them again, and I would I would think. Yeah, Gundogan's pretty good. He's missed a couple, though, hasn't he? he missed at Spurs yeah. and Liverpool, mm. I think. Missed two under, uh, under Guardiola. De Bruyne has missed two, um, and then um, above that, it's it's only Mares who's still around. Sterling missed four. Mares missed four. Jesus missed five. Aguero missed eight. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's just under Guardiola. I, I mean, you you do sort of worry about if it was ever to go to a penalty shootout. I, I you know you would put Haaland in there and. Edison, he, he would be allowed to take one yeah. and shoot out, I presume. But but it's it's yeah. weird. That, that's weird though because you look at, at penalty shootouts under Guardiola. They've beaten Wolves. They've beaten Leicester twice. They've beaten Chelsea. They've beaten Liverpool all on penalties. It's only that yeah, West Ham game where where they didn't. That's because that's because we had players like uh, Bravo and uh, Billy Caballero. <laughs> Yeah. Nothing else. <laughs> yeah, goalkeeping heroes. Yeah. Um, why? Why do you think it's become such an issue, though, John? Is there a, is there a way to address it? As as Kieran says, is it is there a more psychological approach? I know I said earlier that you know it's probably bollocks, but like there is probably a case here for bringing in somebody who can spe- who can specifically work with the players on penalties, isn't there? Yeah, I guess so. It's just unfortunately it's ha- happened in tight games. Um, I'm sure if it's if they're 3-0 or something like that, which they often are, then someone will step up, take it, and then go, right, okay, yeah, I can take penalties after all. Um, it's just it's, it's just so happens that they've all been kind of quite important. And um, I mean, Mares has got the greatest touch, I would say, not just in the whole club, possibly in the whole Premier League. He's just brilliant at that. And yet, you've got Kevin De Bruyne who can... You know, if you said run at thirty miles miles an hour and cross it, it, it would be pinpoint accurate. Yeah. The fact that I, I don't know how 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 could how can they not score penalties? I don't know. And how can Mario Balotelli? You wouldn't back in many circumstances. You'd say, yeah, I'd have him, him taking penalties. It's just the mysteries of penalty taking, isn't it? Yeah, Kieran. I did. Uh, I did have to laugh. I watched the uh, the Dortmund game on uh, on BT Sport, and at one point, uh, Darren Fletcher on commentary said to Steve McManaman uh, after just after Mares had missed, uh, and they're not exactly short of players who can score a penalty, are they, Manchester City? And uh, I thought, what, what city have you been watching for the last five years? <laughs> who was he referring to? Now? I don't know. It's like like literally every player on that pitch has missed a penalty for City. There's so many of them. Even yeah. Aguero, like even when Aguero was at the club, you were never confident he was going to step up and, and slot it away for some reason given despite the 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 goal record he had um mm. it is it's just a different skill isn't it yeah i wonder is it a kind of case of because balotelli who was phenomenal like he had a, a way of doing it he had a strategy he had that like short little run up 
tap it approach and you know leave the goalkeeper sort of like rooted to the spot squatting yeah he's squatting yeah i wonder is there just a case of you know stuff stop farting about and trying to change your approach each time and just stick to one do you know what it might be it, it could be a case of um because city are so about the fine margins they could you know do that thing where they research what way the goalkeeper is likely to go and then the player has that in their mind and, and you know maybe instead of instead of taking the penalty in their own game, their I do own fear, mind in the way. Yeah, I do fear that'll cause a feedback loop, though, because the goalkeeper will know which way the player likes to go, yeah. and then all of a sudden we're just we're both waiting for the other one to blink first. That's it. It is a rock, <laughs> paper, scissors kind of thing, isn't it? Where, like, you know, which one are you going to do? Which one am I going to do? I mean, Mares's penalty the other night seemed... You know, if the keeper had gone the other way, all, all three of them, all three that he's missed recently, the West Ham one at the end of last season, the two in the Champions League this season. If the keeper goes the other way, they're great penalties. Yeah, but then they look so terrible because they just are at that perfect height for a keeper save. Um, whereas I remember when Mares was in a rich vein of scoring penalty form, that he was going like top corner and they were absolutely top ends, you know, pinpoint accurate. So. I don't know why he's going this sort of like middle of the goal one direction thing where the goalkeeper can easily save it. Um, and I suppose John touched upon it like this is because he's a player short of confidence and he's not really getting a run in the side at the moment. He probably doesn't feel too valued. Um, and then when he's stepping up with something which is intended to boost his confidence, the confidence isn't there. And I mean, that that in itself is a vicious cycle where you know he's in he's in that loop where he, he's trying to score penalties to boost his confidence he's missing it then it damages his confidence and he's yeah. going, you know so you know <laughs> where are we going to be with yeah, yeah 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 john yeah, so fine, just um, make sure Haaland's on the pitch at all times is yeah. the only uh the only the only uh, suggestion i was gonna say john um there is something different about Haaland the way he takes it and the one against brighton was um i mean it was emphatic wasn't it <laughs> it was weird it was weird the way the keepers sort of it's like he was sort of knocked out a little bit. He sort of stumbled sideways to try yeah. and save it. He, it sort, of guess, really he sort of guessed off. the right way and then went, well, I ain't getting that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was past him when he, while he was still thinking, oh, I've guessed the right way. He was like, oh, yeah, I guessed the right way, but he's already gone in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he's good, good isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, not bad. (laughs) Right, well, uh, last Saturday was City's Rainbow Laces match with Kevin De Bruyne wearing the Rainbow Captain's armband and with a little bit of extra branding on the stadium scoreboard too, although none of the players chose to wear the laces themselves. This week, I've been speaking to three LGBTQ plus City fans, Jamie Dawes-Hughes, Zoe Lowe and Cass Burgess, to get their experiences of what it's like going to the football as part of that community. And we start by hearing Jamie talk us through how he began to feel more comfortable in his season ticket seat. Well, over the years, I've not really, I've never ever mentioned it to anyone around me. Um, I've never made a reference to it, but in the last few years, I've started to be a bit more open about my sexuality. The fact that I'm married to another guy, he's been to games with me, they know who he is. And I think it's definitely better than it was once for, for, for gay men. Um, I can't speak for everyone under the uh, LGBTQ plus um, banner, but yeah, it's better, I'd say. Yeah, so it's uh, for for yourself as a as a gay woman. Do you have a, a similar sort of experience? Yeah, similar. I think really. I think having sat in different season ticket seats over uh, the last few years, I kind of swapped and changed around a little bit. I kind of had a nice little spot up on the second tier and there was a different kind of clientele around me that when I sort of mentioned wife, there was a sort of an intake of breath sort of thing. But then I think it's just the initial 
oh sort of shock thing and then after that it's been it wouldn't be anything that I, I don't change anything I do to go to the game or in different seats it's just I, I am who I am and uh, I've never had an issue with anybody personally towards me in terms of my sexuality or anything like that so it's been positive in terms of what I've experienced. And Cass for, for someone like yourself who uh, I mean you identify as, as non-binary which uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm loath to kind of put kind of gender identity and sexuality together so just kind of explain yeah. to us what uh, kind of your experience of being inside the inside the Etihad for games. Do you know what? It, it has kind of changed um, through, over the years essentially I mean I, I noticed I was at the Brighton game um Last week, and it was um, it was a bit different from from years gone by. Um, I, I know, I mean, I'm quite visibly queer, so I, I usually have my nails painted or I have like makeup on and stuff like that. Um, not every time, but sometimes you do kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, you do kind of notice a couple of glares, you know. You do notice a couple of odd looks, and and the, the usual type of, uh, of sort of like cis, uh, you know, white heterosexual male will will always give you that sort of glance. I mean, the the, type, the, the people that I go to city with and, and sit with and and enjoy the, the match experience with are, are a fantastic bunch of people, and you know they would never treat me any differently, regardless of whatever I identified as. Um, but you do notice that because of the Etihad can be some, sometimes like a bit of a microcosm of society. You get all sorts in, in the Etihad, obviously. So um, I think what we said before about it, different parts of the ground feel different as well. Like um, you know, if I'm in for a, let's say Colin Bell stand tier three, where I my season ticket years ago. Um, you don't really get many slurs being thrown about. You don't really get many heckling towards the pitch because you're that far away. There's no point. They're not going to hear you. Um, but you do notice that sort of like towards Block 115 in South Stand, where I've been a couple of times with mates, um, you do notice a bit more being thrown about. And and in years gone by, I mean, the stuff we used to chant at Chelsea uh, was horrific. And, and, you know, prior to coming out and being a bit more educated on the subject, you know, I'm not going to say I, I wasn't part of that, you know, uh, bizarrely, but... I think over the years it's become a bit more um, a bit more palatable. I think for for a queer person going into the football, uh, and I think City have done quite a lot to uh, to help out with that. But you know, it's how far can City really go? Because I mean, it's a societal problem. So the question really does beg itself of how much can City actually do uh, to mitigate uh, and make our experience a little bit better within the ground. Yeah, I, uh, let's. I mean, the, the other question I've got for you in in that sense. I mean, let's let let's. I'll start with Zoe, uh, and then can Jamie? I'll come to you as well on this. Um, how how long did it take you to kind of be your true self at the Etihad and uh, and go into the game? Um, I think because my, I suppose because my true self isn't particularly challenging to anybody's idea of what what is the norm of anybody around you. I don't think it's taken me. Um, I'm quite confident and open in terms of my life and work and social life and people who know who know me. Um, I think it was just you—you you almost wait for that moment of sort of saying, "Oh, are you here with your husband or are you here with your boyfriend?" And it's like, "Oh, that's my wife," and it's you, you can't. That feels like you're coming out every single time. You do it so many times over you, and now I kind of sort of enjoy the the, the humour of I've seen the, the face of what the reaction might be, <laughs> yeah. um, just because it's different for different people. So I suppose, but that grows with confidence. I think. So I'm, as I say, I'm not any different with my true self. It's just knowing when and if it's necessary. You know, do I need to say anything? But it's, I suppose it's just correcting people's language. But you don't want to upset anybody because they've not did it on purpose, but they've made an assumption about me already. Um, so, yeah, it's not been difficult. I'm probably truer to myself now than I previously was, except for one um, old lady who's sat in front of me for 15, 16 years now. And she saw me come with one girl once, assumed she was my girlfriend, 
and I just haven't got the heart to tell her. <laughs> it's, it's, it's gone too far. The lie's been going on for far too long now. And, and unknowingly, she's met my husband loads of times. But um, but no, I, I, I would not be afraid of of saying who I am to anybody else uh, around me at the Etihad. No, definitely not. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. Zoe, I'm interested as well. Do you think it's is it different being a gay woman? Do you think to being a gay man uh, at football? It's almost uh, is it almost? I don't want to use the phrase more acceptable, do you, but you you know what I mean. Absolutely, I think having I used to play women's football a very long time ago, and for City women before they were any close to being what City women are now. And I was I was thinking about this yesterday, and I was thinking that actually I think that because it I suppose for um, your, your cis white male, I'm less challenging. I'm less. Uh, interrupting of their world and I think that um, whether there is assumptions made about me and my gender and my sexuality it almost doesn't matter because I'm not going to offend anybody by it. Uh, Cass again for yourself how long did it take you to be to be your true self at the football? Um, to be honest quite a long time because it is quite sort of like a leap of faith really going into the Etihad with a full face of makeup and your nails painted it as to what most people would consider uh, they look at me and think I'm a bloke so fair play uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not naive. I know what I look like, so it is quite a, sort of a leap of faith to to do so. And it took me quite a long time to build up the confidence to do it. You know, it was. You know, first it was comfortable doing it in sort of gay clubs and 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 sort of like around my friends and stuff, which was fine. And then the, it was kind of the biggest leap because for me, the football's always been um, this sort of quite a, a butch kind of atmosphere. And and you know, for me to turn up in a, a full get up and makeup and, and nails, it's you know it. It was quite exhilarating because it felt, you know, like I'd really crossed the bridge there and I'd really done something, you know, I was quite proud of. And um, and to be fair, I did, no one said anything. I had, I had a very good experience at the time. And uh, but but it doesn't take away from the, the fear that you naturally have because of the way society is and, and the way that you know um, specifically Britain is around sort of non-binary people and, and trans people. Um, you do always have these reservations and you think, oh, God, what if? And, you know, someone looks at you the wrong way. You're thinking, God, is this the end of it for me? Am I going to get battered? You know, and it's it's always a fear and it's quite a, it's quite a, a significant fear. But, um, you know, it's one that doesn't come without its rewards as well when you do actually cross that sort of mental divide and say, do you know what, I will actually go to the game and, uh, and, and just be my true self. So it took a long time, but I think we got there in the end and, and now... You know, I don't feel the pressure to go in a full face makeup. I can go in Miss Crofts and just have my nails done. So it's, you know, it's not the end of the world. But, uh, but like I said, it did take a long time to get to that point. Yeah, I guess, I guess, Jamie, that's that's the the the, the other side of this as well is that we can we can sit here and we can talk about how scary it can be. But there is that reward when you are your true self inside the Etihad. You're supporting City alongside, you know, fifty odd thousand City fans. We're all there hoping for the same thing. 
yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, being a city fan is part of my identity as well. Um, and but being a gay man is still important to me, and I'm not gonna have anyone at the Etihad decide to decide on themselves that they're gonna have maybe have an effect on my own viewing because I mean there have been times where I've heard homophobic comments and well one time I I, I responded I said that wasn't well it was it was a Chelsea game so you can guess what it mm-hmm. was and I t- I told it wasn't acceptable he kicked off a bit and fair play to City as soon as I reported it to them they dealt I couldn't believe how well how well they dealt with it actually I mean they emailed me they phoned me the stewards were great and and then it made me well I, I felt better about supporting City because actually they made a real effort to respect my identity my identity and also well it was wrong what he'd, what he'd done yeah and, does it, can I can yeah. I ask it in in that moment does it when when you hear it did that did that affect your viewing for the rest of the game were you, were you able to to kind of enjoy the rest of the game after that happened well not not the same as I would usually because not, not only was it didn't did it affect that game it affected the next game so I thought oh, is he going to be there again and and obviously he was it was okay though because I think he'd he'd been told by no by in no terms that was his last chance um so yeah it did it, yeah I, it did, I didn't feel as confident going to the next game which was ridiculous because I hadn't I hadn't done anything wrong um but but yeah, he's he's gone now actually, so that's that's quite good for this season. I think I probably experienced the same fella actually a few years ago. It's a very similar experience actually. Um, I, I think the south stand was being built on, and a few of the fans had been moved across, and he sort of sat behind me. Uh, and probably for, I put up with it for a little bit too long. Um, like somebody just described, um, the different places you sit, it was a very quiet area. Everybody just kind of quietly watched the game. There was a chant every now and again or a shout, but it was a very quiet place to sit uh, and this gentleman was not very quiet and quite aggressive and quite homophobic but nobody was going to challenge him myself included and I have to get frustrated when I think back to it now I think it was about three or four games in and I dreaded going I absolutely there was a couple of games I'd sold my seat I, I absolutely dreaded not wanting to sit there because I was scared of what might happen if I did challenge him because I knew I wanted to but eventually I kind of I, I was brave enough I, got, well, I said brave enough I got contacted by email city um, and the same thing phoned me um, stewards were there uh, a very extra uh, visible number of security there. Uh, checked in with me at half time, so he knew who I was. Um, and then I think second half he kind of he started again. And anyway, he was on his way, and we didn't see him again. So um, it was very relieving, but I put up with it for too long. I'm, I'm interested in in that as well uh, because. It's interesting how both yourself and Jamie have talked about again putting up with too long and, and and feeling guilty that you hadn't that you hadn't made the report. But there are there are lots of other people there as well who who could do the same sort of thing. And I and I think there's that there's this attitude that LGBTQ plus people are like if you want if you want to fight against it, then you have to make a stand. And actually, this is where the allyship comes in, isn't it, Cass? You need you need the people around you to to kind of step in and say, actually, no, you can't do this. Yeah, absolutely. I think there shouldn't really be an expectation on us that we have to police everybody else because um, it's our duty to do so. No, it's society's duty to, to uh, like you said, with allyship, to, to police each other, you know, to say, well, hold on a minute, that's not quite right. And it shouldn't be up to people that uh, are the target of, of hate crime 
uh, or abuse or anything like that to um, to have to sort it themselves. And, and do you know what? It can be quite a frightening experience. I mean, I've had it several times where I've not quite agreed with what someone said or how someone's acted, um, not just in the ground but outside of it. But I think as a wider uh, thing for society, it's, it shouldn't be on the oppressed to um, to police everyone with in terms of language and behaviour. Um, it, it's a societal need for everyone to look after um their own at- actions and attitudes and stuff like that. So um, it should come from uh, from straight people, uh, from cis people. It should come from everyone. Um, and just to look after each other is such a basic thing. Yeah. I mean, Cass, for, you, for yourself, you mentioned um, before uh, not just homophobic abuse, but uh, transphobic mm. abuse that you've heard. Yeah. Um, is there is there a difference between people's attitudes to, to kind of respond to that? I don't know. I don't know if you've responded yeah. to, to uh, transphobic abuse as well as homophobic abuse. But yeah. have, you, have you noticed that people kind of approach it differently? Yeah, do you know, and there is, and it's sad because there is a huge difference between the two uh, in terms of people's um, attitudes sometimes, sadly, because, you know, in terms of homophobic abuse, there will be a, a more of a, a presence of, well, hold on, you know, I've got a gay son, I've got a, a gay daughter, I've got, you know, the, 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 there's always going to be some within your family unit um, that, that does identify within the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but because of the, 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 there are less trans people than there are obviously people in the entire community. So that community of, oh, well, I've got, you know, a trans daughter or I've got a non-binary, you know, like a a sibling or something like that, that network is a lot smaller. Um, So there is less of that. Hold on a minute. My, you know, child is is non-binary, but it is sad because a lot of people just just think, oh, well, you know, if they're taking the mickey out of Sam Smith for wanting to use they, them pronouns, it it seems there's a lesser of a thing because homophobia, hold on a minute, I've got a gay son, but you know, transphobia, oh, well, I don't actually know anyone, so it doesn't really affect me. I think that's the the, the, the bad thing that, the I, issue. you know, we sort yeah. of come up against, yeah. Yeah. Um, Jamie, people often say, I mean, we always hear about uh, the stories all the time about uh, Premier League footballers who are close to coming out and then it never happens. Um, like, in terms of, not necessarily that story, because that's, that's a whole other kind of debate about how, how, the media and, and we handle that story, uh, but we always hear the argument that um, people people go to football and they don't care about your sexuality or they don't care about your gender identity. They only care about the football. And I, I often wonder, kind of as well-meaning as that can be, and as as well-meaning as uh, as that attitude is, do you feel it dismisses kind of your experiences of being at the game and and what it's like being LGBTQ plus at the football? Yeah, I think it. It does dismiss it, um, just in the sense that I know it, 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 when I started when my uh, when I first got started going regularly as a season ticket holder when I was seventeen, if there'd been a player there who was visibly who was who was out, it would it yeah my teenage life would have been completely different. Um, because I just didn't when I was a teenager, I didn't equate the fact that I was a gay would fit with being a football fan because why would it be and i mean women's football for example is such a much better i mean we do talk non-stop about gay players in 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 the men's game where the women's games are much better representation of what the world is like um so yeah i mean for example jake daniels when he came out i had my nephew who's a massive massive football fan who's uh, 16 Posting on his Instagram about how great it was to see see a gay player out, and 
and, and he's such a lad. So, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, it would make a difference. Yeah, Zoe, for, for, for someone yourself, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you played uh, for, for the City women before they became what, what they are now. What is it like yeah. in the women's game? I think it's just, it's um, obviously I was much younger, I suppose, uh, a little bit naive and not understanding of the, the, the different identities, in particular even my own, just in terms of my own sexuality growing up. I think it's um, it's almost expected and it's not a thing and you wouldn't be surprised if you saw a, a woman with another woman at the football and I think because, again, it's that non-threatening nature of it. Um, it's it, it's not that it's not important, but it doesn't define them as a footballer. But I can sit here and say that as a woman, as, as not feeling... Um, well, I watch the women's game, which I do like to watch. We do like to watch the city women's games. I watch it because it's, it's football and it's getting better. Having played football, we weren't ever... You know, it's still not quite as good as watching the men's, but it's good and it's getting better. And I don't go... Um, for any other reason than that but it is like um, somebody's just said it's it's nice to be able to go and see other women that have uh, similarities or have things in common such as being gay or being what you know that's is great to see and I think it, it's a shame that the men's game couldn't have the same sort of role models or uh, qualities because I think it might reduce what people are experiencing in the crowd because I think it is very different as a woman yeah, well, I mean, let's let's finish on um, a positive note because I'm I'm very wary that this is that this this isn't to become a a, a kind of um, oh how how awful the situation is at the moment um, because all three of you have mentioned how things are better now than they were and that 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 you know progress is being made and we've just had the weekend where City have had their their rainbow laces game at uh, at the Etihad. Um, Zoe, I'll I'll start with you on this in in, in terms of, of of kind of where we're heading and the direction of progress. How how far do you think we've come, and how far do you think we we still have to go? I think we've come such a such a long way um, for the confidence that you know we've all talked about, perhaps of being able to to go to a game and enjoy a game. Um, I completely agree with the we've still got a way to go for others around us to feel that they can support and stand up for things, even though if it isn't for them, rather than others having to just protect ourselves. I think that little things like the the, the the text service isn't always a number you can contact if you're at the game and there's something happening. So I think that it's keeping those sorts of things visible for us to be able to kind of um, latch on to. But just not, I suppose, not too much gimmick. You know, I like the Rainbow Laces stuff because it brings things into the fore, but it's, it's the stuff behind it. It's, you know, more women's involved in the men's game at different levels and, and more. And, and that's I'm just talking, obviously, from my point of view as a gay woman. Um, so I think there is... A way to go, but I think we've come so far from where I was when I was sort of 15, 16 and not being really sure about what where I was and what I was doing. And um, it's nice to be, nice to see. Yeah, Jamie, I'm. Uh, I I feel I I feel very similar to you in that sense of I remember being a teenager and not being sure kind of how being gay and being a city fan would interact with my life later on, and yet here I am doing two podcasts a week about city and and making a living <laughs> continually talking about city. Um, it, it I, I guess it it just kind of goes to show that um, uh, there there is space for everybody at the game, isn't there? Definitely, and it's really encouraging hearing um, Kaz's experiences because, I mean, I get in my head enough about wearing just a Pride T-shirt to City. <laughs> so, so yeah, just hearing, I think, I mean, I can't speak for Kaz, but hearing their experiences, that gives me hope that, yeah, things will keep getting better. And, yeah, why shouldn't football be for all of us, yeah? 
Yeah, and and cast for yourself. Um, I mean, like I say, we just had the Rainbow Laces weekend. You've been uh, you've been very kind of. You said earlier you're very visibly queer at the game, mm. or you can be. You're not not every game. Yeah. Um, like, do you, do you notice that campaigns like this, like they actually do, they do work, even as much as I would I would love City to engage with it a lot more than they do. Um, mm. But it does have some impact, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does, and it, it, you know, going the match day experience, you see fans wearing them, and it's. It's just it's little signs like that. I know sometimes it can border on the gimmicky, but it's yeah. it is nice to see a few things. And you go, oh well, that's nice. At least they've done that. And I was getting the train back to. Uh, sadly, I do live on the dark side in Liverpool, uh, but I was getting <laughs> the. I know, I know for my sins. Um, but I was getting the train back to Lime Street um, from Piccadilly on Platform 14, and I noticed that they still had uh, even this was September October time. They still had the Pride stuff out from from the summer. So uh, on summer like the uh, the lamppost advertising stuff. Um, so it's quite nice, you know, that they are quite proud to support us as a community. I think we should do a bit more of it. Uh, I think there is a lot more that the club and society can do, but it's just nice to see sometimes. And uh, there's always going to be initial outrage at a lot of things, you know, um, you know, like you say, women commentating and, and women being involved at fo- in football at the highest levels, which is great to see. Uh, and we need a lot more of it, but there's always going to be that initial sort of shock and, and reaction to it. But it will just get ingrained, and and the more we do it, and the and the more that we get people involved from different communities and different identities, the more it becomes ingrained, and the more it just becomes the norm. And I just can't wait for another twenty years where I can just relax at you know Alex Scott doing commentary, and there's no one kicking off about it, or you know just stuff like that where it should be the norm, but we just gotta wait for it to become ingrained. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. So that was a look at uh, the Rainbow Laces campaign. And uh, now we're joined by Neil from the Leicester City YouTube channel, Beyond the 90. Hi, Neil. Hi, Dave. Good to, ha- good to be back. How are you? I'm not too bad, thanks. Um, I, let's let's get into uh, to how Leicester are doing, because uh, City seems to be running into you guys at, at possibly the wrong time. You, you, uh, you seem to be in uh, good form at the moment. Well, you say good form. We're still in seventeenth place, so it can't be that good. Um, but no, we've got two wins on the on the on the go now. Two clean sheets, four four clean sheets in the last five games. So at the moment, it seems like we're turning a corner. But until this point, it's been a, a borderline diabolical, to be honest, in terms of defending. Again, it seems like Leicester City have finally sorted it out now. But again, I'll probably get into some statistics and stuff while I go. It's probably not the most sustainable way we're playing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I was. I was just looking at, uh, at kind of like the recent form, and it's ten points from a possible fifteen. Um, do, is that giving you confidence that the turnaround has started? Because, like you say, it was. A, it was an absolutely. It, I mean, it was an abject start to the season, wasn't it? Potentially, potentially. I think with the way that Leicester perform, I've been, especially over the last year, been used to being let down a lot of the time especially from a defensive point of view our ability to score goals is there i mean if you look at the table i think at the moment where we are we've scored 21 goals that's still quite a bit but we've conceded 24 and i think i'm just looking at the league now that is the most in the league even not too far as to conceded 23 and bearing in mind of recent we've had clean sheet we've had four clean sheets so defensively there is there's been a little bit of a change which i'll probably talk about in a little bit so and it seems to have worked but again when you come against man city Every single person has to be completely on it, otherwise they'll pick you apart. Yeah, um, Kieran for for City, um, Leicester can now be Guardiola's sole focus, as we as we talked about earlier with John. Um, they've they've won the Champions League group; nothing can change there. Um, it's it's going to be a case of you, you know all the eggs in the Premier League basket for the time being, isn't it? Yeah, you you would you would like to hope so, wouldn't you? Um, you never know what Pep 
will pull out. And I mean, there have been times in the past where you've looked at dead rubbers in the Champions League and gone, why has he gone so strong? Um, but, you know, he likes to keep momentum. He likes to give players uh, rhythm. But I would like to think that he, well, I mean, clearly he'll prioritise Leicester this weekend. Um, and it'll be as strong as possible. And then we've got a bit of wriggle room for Sevilla in the week, yeah. Yeah, John. For uh, for City, there was uh, there was a little bit of uh, talk about Harland and, and Cancelo because they came off at half time with a fever in midweek. Um, obviously, we've not heard of uh, we've not heard Guardiola's pre match press conference yet. Uh, there's no long term concerns about those two, is there? It's, it's literally they just felt a bit unwell. Yeah, and he, well, he did say he, he had a sore foot as well, um, Guardiola, when he was talking about Harland. So, um, I. I don't think it's guaranteed that he's going to start against Leicester. I don't think we you know we've not been given any more details than that. Um, but other than Haaland, I would expect everyone else to be involved. And obviously, De Bruyne set out the, the game against um, uh, Dortmund. Uh, Bernardo only played 45 minutes. Grealish didn't play. Foden, 45 minutes. Cancelo, 45. So, although is they are tired, he has talked about fatigue in, in the squad. Um you know, a lot of them got a decent rest, didn't play the full 90. It was quite, uh, you know, certainly that second half was, at times, it was walking pace. So you would think that, you know, Harlem will wait and see, but I, you would think the majority of the squad that played recently will be fully fit and ready to go. Yeah, Kieran, I was just about to, to kind of say, um, a bit nervous if Haaland doesn't play and, and, and isn't there for, for like just City having to switch back into that false nine sort of setup and, and working the goals. But actually, I'm starting to think about it. Maybe I'm a little bit more nervous if Cancelo isn't fit, you know. Yes. Um, I Yeah, I'd be nervy about Haaland not being there if he wasn't, um, just because it gives... With Neil talking about Leicester's defence, it, it really will give them something to think about um, if Haaland's around. And we seem to have got used to um, the big man being there and playing, you know, to aim towards him as such. Uh, but, yeah, if Cancelo's not there, because he's he's a phenom, it's, isn't he? He's, yeah, he's, but it's, it's potentially four centre-backs then having to play across the back because yeah, Walker's yeah. still, still get coming back. Um. I don't know if he would trust Sergio Gomez to to slot in there, um, or and certainly not one of the one of the youngsters. I mean, I keep going back in my head to the fact that we've got five centre backs now, um, and you think to yourself that one of them is going to feel a bit of a, a spare part, um, and you know there's there's five centre-backs fighting over four places, essentially. Um, but because of the injuries and the, and rotation as well, and just the start that Akanji's made and the trust in John Stones uh, on the right, I mean, it wouldn't fill me with confidence, um, especially thinking about Leicester on the break um, with that lack of pace on the wings. Um, but... I think they can all do a little bit of a job. Nathan Ake, what a season he's having, by the way. And, yeah. you know, whatever job and whatever um, kind of role he's called upon to perform, he seems to be um, performing it really adequately um, and pretty brilliantly at times. So, I, I mean, oh, God forbid, I really don't want to see Cancelo out because he's just, he's a player like no other, really, in, in the, the role he serves for the squad, or for the team. But, um yeah, you you just get the feeling now that we've got an unbelievable um, d- 
defense that can just do whatever they're called upon and you know, and you know perform perform relatively well um although it's obviously not ideal to be missing your two leading fullbacks but um let's just hope it doesn't come to that get involved with the debate on twitter at blue moon podcast Neil, in terms of, of Leicester going forward, we we touched on the defence a little bit. Um, you are you are high scorers this season, so you you do pose a bit of a threat. Yeah, going forwards again, as you know, I think Jamie Vardy is always a threat for. I think he got two hat tricks against Man City. Um, he loves City, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. Again, he just knows that again. He's aging a little bit, but with Jamie Vardy, he's kind of like Benjamin. Wilson. He just keeps going and going um, because of he came into the game for Leicester at twenty-seven years old. Um, in terms of our attacking tech, again, we've got some really attacking players in terms of James Madison's on form, Harvey Barnes, he's coming into a bit of form now, I think he's got two in two games but he started, he's one of those players that blows hot and cold um, we've started to go, Pat Sandaka, who's kind of our repl- future replacement for Jamie Vardy he's been doing really well re- recently as well, that right wing position we don't really have, we have Michael Brighton but he's kind of the backup um, if we need somebody to come on in 30 minutes or so, so James Madison's been playing that, we've actually been playing with, with Timothy Stania, Um on that right, he was a right back, but the way we're playing now, we're dropping Yuri Tillemans more into that right back position, so it allows Timothy Castanhas to go forward. So the recent subtle changes that we've been making to the formation has really helped. Um, our issue, I'm just hoping, if if Harder's listening, I mean, you can come to mine and have your feet up, mate. I mean, I'm more than happy for that because, um, yeah, we've not conceded. Again, I've just checked the statistics again. We haven't got the most conceded goals. That is Bournemouth on 25, we're on 24, so... Again, it's slightly better than I expected. Yeah, Bournemouth did ship nine in a game, though. So, uh... <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, let's let's talk about uh, Brendan Rodgers because um, what are the what are the feelings towards him? Because a friend of mine who is a who is a Leicester fan has been pretty, you know, vocal this season that he's that he thinks it's been time for a change. Um, has that been a, a a common mood in the fan base? And has it is it starting to change with the way things have, have maybe turned around a little bit? I mean, obviously, regardless of who the manager is, if results go the way, the manager, there'll literally be more support for the manager. For me, there was, there's was there been lots of little things that he's been doing behind the scenes and things that he's been doing publicly. Again, just to, just to make it clear from the press conference, is not this one, but previous ones. He said our target for the season is 40 points, yet we're not in a relegation battle. There's things like that that he said, which everybody goes, huh? This doesn't make any sense. And also, you're a very well-played manager. You've got a very good squad that with... A stronger squad, you finished fifth two seasons in a row. Granted, we dropped bottles of top four twice two day, two seasons in a row. But our target should be, again, at minimum top 10 with the squad and players that we've got. From my perspective, he's come out and said the wrong things. Um, he hasn't been backed in the transfer market per partly because of financial reasons and partly because the board don't trust him because he's brought in the likes of Ryan Bertrand, Yannick Vestergaard, which haven't worked. Jose Perez for 30 million. He goes, he's overrid our, um, our scouting system, which is notoriously very good to bring in his own players. And because he had, he finished fifth two two years in a row, he had the backing of the squad. So he's been throwing his toys out of the pram a lot of the time. And I think he, I think to be honest, if you look back at some of his post-match conferences, I think he's surprised that he's still in a job. Yeah, I must um, admit there were, there were moments earlier in the season where I thought, is he trying to get sacked? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it sounds it sounds um, 
bizarre, but it, it literally is true. He's going, well, it's not my job if I, it's not my decision if I'm here or not, or maybe I will be, maybe I won't. It's genuinely quotes, um, paraphrasing, but to a certain extent, that's what he's been saying. He was expecting the sack. And um, the thing is, he has been, to, he has been available to turn it around. But again, it's, it's not, it's how you do it over a long period of time. Before this game, um, we were we were drastically down. Uh, a couple of again, take it back five games. I think we're on one point now. We're on eleven. Looks like we're climbing the right direction. However, we are still in a relegation battle. If Leeds do get the next win, we drop back into relegation zone. But there's pretty much half the table that's in a relegation battle. Granted, it is only a quarter way through the season, but it's enough of the way through the season to where we go right. We are in a relegation scrap at this moment in time. John, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the things that has struck me about Leicester's season so far this year, and Neil, I don't want to, I don't want to make you feel uh, bad about how the season might go because there's still plenty of football to be played. Uh, but John, it reminds me a lot of how City started the season under Alan Ball. Oh God, oh God. I don't think it's, it's that bad. Ten, ten, what, what was it? Eleven games in, one point. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't watched an awful amount of Leicester this season. Um, but you look at the squad and think, the, you know, there's a real talent in that squad. Um, I did watch the game against United and I was surprised about how how passive they were. You know, United weren't great at the time and Leicester just seemed to sort of happy to almost declare. I think it sort of feeds into what you two, you two were saying a second ago about it looked like Brendan wanted to be somewhere else, really. Yeah. It was, um, but yeah, it's watching that game. It wasn't quite as wasn't quite Alan Ball taking City to Liverpool <laughs> and uh, getting done four yeah, nil ten goals in yeah in consecutive yeah, in games. three days yeah uh, John not just quite that bad. In terms of uh, Guardiola and City, then um, if he's when he's uh, when he's looking at his uh, his team for this one, um, let's assume that Haaland's fit and he's starting the game. Um, who plays around him? Do you think? Because we talked earlier about how Mares has been been under fire and he's he's clearly been trying to play Mares into some sort of form and it doesn't really seem to be working. If you're Jack Grealish at this moment, you must be thinking, I I need to get back on the pitch because his his form's been pretty good recently. Yeah, I I think Leicester is one of those teams that. Pep obviously worries about because he's been stung badly a couple of times. Well, not badly, stung badly once at uh, uh, away in that obviously the one they finished four one I think when Vardy yeah. scored a hat trick um, and that you know Leicester absolutely knew what they were doing that day and turned City over completely. And then last season, obviously the the, the, the comeback game that wasn't uh, was it uh, trying to was it. It was, four, the yeah, it was 4 yeah, 0 and it went to 4 3. Yeah. Um, yeah. There was the 5 2 in the behind closed doors oh, yeah, as well. Yeah, of course, that one as well. Yeah. Really stung Pep, I think. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he mentions that 6 3 a lot as a warning, like, if you're not on it, Leicester knew what they were doing. And so I, I think he starts from the back. So I think they'll, they'll want to keep the door shut completely. Um, and obviously, the best way of doing that is by. Having possession, so Grealish has has been top of the form for sort of uh, controlling controlling the ball, controlling possession. Um, I think that's what he's in the team for. Obviously, we're, you know we're all focused on his goals and assists, but you know he takes the ball, he runs at players, he keeps possession. I think he's been superb at that this season. So I think I think Grealish is is part of the team for Leicester. I would I would expect, and and obviously. You know, Gundogan, Bernardo, De Bruyne, 
Uh, they're masters at keeping hold of the ball with Rodri. So, and then then you look to the right hand side, and obviously Foden's done such a good, uh, yeah, done such a good job switching wings and and looks more than comfortable on the right hand side. So, um, I think he's plenty of options. And Mario's has generally played against Leicester, uh, but just in the way it's going for him at the moment, he's probably this is the biggest game we've got coming up in the next couple of weeks, and it's probably one he misses out on. Yeah, Neil, how do you think uh, Rogers will set up for City this year? Um, so Rodgers has preferred the 4-3-3. He tried to copy the inverted wingers um, however, at the beginning of the season. However, the game before we um, went into the first game of the season, Ricardo got an injury, put him out, so we had to change our tactics. What we've been doing now is we've been playing the same 4-3-3 again. Well, far, so the whole Wesley Fofana situation was a, a kind of complete nightmare. A pair of forcing him to move out of the club. We got him out. We then got Walt Fast in. Managed to secure um, secure him. He's looked really good. Um, exactly the kind of player we need. Ironically, actually, one player that was linked to as well was Akanji. Um, we didn't actually manage to sign him, but we signed Fast instead. Again, um, going to Man City. Um, the way that Leicester play will play four three three, but it will be and not a traditional four three three. We'll kind of seeing some elements that you would have seen from the likes of yourself and Mikel Arteta's team as well. So we will play Yuri Tillemans in that deeper position. So kind of as a back three almost at times, allowing Castain to get off the pitch. Um Jamie Vardy, Jamie Vardy, and then we've got a midfield three of Wilfred and Didi, I think is fit, but I believe he won't play. It'll probably be Samore Kindrewsby Hall. Um, if you again, I think he played in the six three as well. He's just a fantastic Again, he's a local lad. We absolutely love him to bits. Not been on the best form of recent, but yeah, he's still a really good player. Um, Dennis Pratt, again, in the midfield. Um, James Justin on that left-hand side. Um, Harvey Barnes, who's, yeah, as I mentioned previously, in form on that left. Jamie Vardy, I imagine, will probably play, but he's been switch- switching out between um, Pat Sandaka and Jamie Vardy pretty much on a 50-50 basis, bringing one on after 60 minutes um, the other way around. So I think Jamie Vardy will start and Pat Sandaka will come on after 60 minutes. And on that right-hand side, it will be um, James Madison, who plays more of that inverted number 10 position. So that's how I think Leicester City will set up for this game. But we are, again, Johnny Evans is fit. However, I'm not sure if he will start um, just because, again, form is important. And Daniel Amate and Walt Fast have been phenomenal back pairing of recent. Yeah. Kieran, um, I've just remembered that 2-1 on Boxing Day a few years ago as well, um, where City took the lead and ended up losing. I, I just, I don't like going to Leicester. I don't like it. No, no, I don't either. Um, it's just, yeah, one of those grounds. I think our last visit to the King Power was the Community Shield as well, wasn't it? So um, that didn't pay off for us either. Yeah, it's just... One of those grounds, one of those games I don't look forward to. And yeah, I actually thought it was Sunday. Um, so the Saturday at half 12, I don't really know what City's record is like then. Um, You'd have thought I might have checked something like that for a podcast. But <laughs> well, I didn't, so. <laughs> sorry, sorry for bringing it up. <laughs> that won't make the edit, don't worry. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I, I get the feeling that we'll, we'll try and come out of the blocks um but sometimes you can you feel the performances can be a little bit turgid uh early on the saturday afternoon so i think we just we need to be at ourselves it's always always it, there's always a bit of a madness isn't it it's either really close like i think it was a one nil last season wasn't it bernardo scored um and you, it's either like dead dead close or um a one mad, of us batters the others game. yeah <laughs> yeah um, it's never boring but, 
Yeah, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, could be. It could definitely be edgy seat stuff. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, let's get some predictions on the board. We had uh, another correct score on last week's show. It was Adam Carter's correct 3 1 prediction for the game against Brighton. That means we've now raised £305 for the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group this season. They're collecting for the Trussell Trust to help Manchester Central Food Bank support people living in food poverty in Greater Manchester. We've each got a £10 correct score single on City's games from William Hill. Um, John, let's start with you for the, uh, for the trip to Leicester. What are you having? Uh, I am going for 2-0. 2-0, uh, uh, I assume to the away team? Yes, sorry. Yes. <laughs> just uh, just double check, you never know. 2-0 uh, to uh, City is 13-2 to two and £65 if you're right. Neil, what are you having? So it's a free hit for this one in terms of Leicester. Um, I'd say 2-1. Just one thing to add before. Um, it's also the first anniversary of Kumvichai as well. So our, our owner that passed away in the, in the helicopter accident. So again, the crowd will be up for this. However, I still think in the form that Leicester are in, you've got to be really at it to to beat Man City. So I'll go 2-1 to Man City. Well, uh, if you're right, that's 17-2 to two and uh, £85 to the kitty. Mm. Uh, Kieran, what are you having? I'm going to go for 3-2 to Manchester City. A real uh, real goals fest is uh, 22 mm-hmm. to 1 and uh, £220 if you're right. Uh, we'll quickly squeeze in the uh, Sevilla predictions as well. Uh, I'm going for this one for a 2-0 City win against Sevilla. That's 13 to 2 and £65. John? I've gone 3-0 to City. 3-0 is uh, 15 to 2 and £75. Kieran? Well, I sort of forgot it was a dead rubber where we're, we're going to see loads of rotation. So um, I, I kind of regret going for a big score, but I've gone 4-1. You never know; it could uh, could still come in fourteen to one mm. and uh, one hundred and forty pounds if you're right. Remember, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for information about gambling responsibly, take a look at begambleaware.org. Uh, Neil from the uh, Leicester City YouTube channel, Beyond the Ninety. Thank you very much for joining us on today's show. Brilliant! Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a great chat, and um, best of luck apart from the weekend. That was Neil from Beyond the 90 LCFC. Uh, we're going to finish with uh, some listener questions. Get them sent in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us as well. Just fill in the form on bluemoonpodcast.com. Uh, Nicky's been in touch on Twitter to say, the Guardiola mural outside the Etihad got me thinking, who would be the worst ex-City player or manager for a mural outside the ground? It's easy to suggest <laughs> someone like Alan Ball as a manager who took us down or Joey Barton as a controversial player, but let's have some suggestions beyond the easy ones. Um, John, I could hear you chuckling there. Uh, are there any names that spring instantly to mind? Um, well, Alan Ball, yeah, obviously was was one of my, that, that, that was the initial first thought. I'm trying to I'm trying to think of some sort of hideously ugly players at City have had. <laughs> they, they, they have had them, but nothing's coming to mind. Um, I was, I mean, I was just thinking you could have Jamie Pollock in the header pose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I think I think that is that's gone long. That's. Enough time has passed now that we can all enjoy that one, I think. now. You can laugh so. about it now. Yeah, Kieran, anything, uh, any suggestions you've got? Yeah, well, I think just to show that nothing is permanent, a mural of Steve Koppel's reign. Um, <laughs> uh, and it would probably last longer on the wall than, uh, you could, than uh, you his could, tenure. You, you could split the wall into like 33 panes and have one for each <laughs> yeah. day that he was there. <laughs> um, I'm thinking some like I- iconic players in iconic moments so like um eloquim mangala getting the uh, blue santa hat ripped off his head by guardiola um <laughs> that to me is just pure art um How about, uh, this is a personal one for me and you uh martin di michele bending down and touching the ball <laughs> yes against QPR. <laughs> QPR just, that, that day I, I i wasn't even at the game but i just like it was it, it, 
remind me what happened. He bent down, touched the ball, handballed it. Just, it. He, was, he sort of was like, just had nobody anywhere near him and kind of lost control of the ball. And in, instead of kind of chasing it, he just bent down <laughs> and touched it and brought it back <laughs> to himself. Just the most illegal thing you'll ever see. Um, no, no free kick was given, was it? It was no, just, no, everyone nothing, saw it, just, it and just went, well, we'll just ignore yeah, that. Yeah, just shrugged, yeah. <laughs> uh, or the D. Michaelis, you know, when he... Um, when he scored, it's like a really awful, scruffy, scrappy tap in and like celebrated with his arm up in the air before it crossed the line. Have you ever Fulham. seen that? Yeah, Fulham. I think was it was Fulham, yeah. Might yeah. have been West Brom, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. It, well, it, it, do you know what? In my head, I always get it mixed up whether it was those two clubs, but yeah, uh, where he has his hand up in the air. I think he's got a glove on as well. It's just proper <laughs> iconic. like. Um, or the Wilfred Boney tweet, you know, the, um, the, the when he was dropped <laughs> and he tweeted good three points and he's just stood in his living room in a check shirt watching the telly. <laughs> Imagine that, that on yeah. a mural. Right, that on the side of somebody's house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> John, is yeah. anybody from the 90s that that you might go for because there's there's plenty of names that i think of from the 90s where i just go like they they are by default the butt of the joke and and ultimately they they might not be the worst player do you know what i mean they're they're kind of picked as the butt of the joke because they played for city in the 90s not because they were actually terrible yeah well someone like michael frontzek or yeah someone something along those lines i was thinking maybe about some iconic moments like michael balls stamping on cristiano ronaldo that would make a nice (laughs) or, or ben thatcher sort of Elbowing Mendes. <laughs> I might, I might want written consent from Pedro Mendes before we put that one on the wall. <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, sort of twisted. His face twisted in anger. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that'd make a nice, that'd make a nice war- mural, wouldn't it? Yeah. See so the James up front against Borough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, some of uh, some of City's uh, twisted history just painted all over uh, the sides yeah, of houses in, uh, in Manchester. That's what the yeah. fun is about supporting City: the twisted history bits, isn't it? Like, yeah, yeah but the sort of a, a picture of the of the players coming off the pitch at Middlesbrough on the last day of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Sven, Sven, Sven pointed them all to the away end saying, go and applaud the fans as if yeah, we want to yeah. see all that. Yeah, yeah, and all the Sven masks in the away end like, <laughs> covering the or, tears. Or maybe Sven's sp- face when he was forced to go to Thailand a few days later. Yeah. <laughs> when he knew he was getting the sack. Oh. Yeah. yeah. The if you've... Uh, yeah, if you've got any suggestions, then do let us know on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Uh, but that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you very much to Jonathan Smith. Pleasure, thank you. And Kieran Murray. Thanks a million. There's a clip of this week's Patreon show coming up, and I'll be back again next week to review the games with Leicester and Sevilla. So see you then. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. It's a very weird team. You've got people like Nigel Clough that never really did it for City, but was a very good player, very technical player in the same team as King Cladsey. And then you've still got Dickoff and Roser up front. The only substitute, uh, Buster Phillips. Mm. Well, there you go. He was he was he was the original. Uh, Sean Wright Phillips as an exciting young winger coming on, who we thought was going to be the next big thing at the club. Alas, the, uh, <laughs> the paper boy wasn't actually very good at football. Just incidentally, you, you keep mentioning ex City players who played for Vale, and I'm thinking, <laughs> and, some... and the Hill, and the Hill played in this game, and he's an ex City player Hill as well. Was yeah, a great player for us. Um, he had a, he had a bit of class in in. Championship. Just um, we played him at right back mainly, but sometimes he just 
cover in central defence and he just slots in whatever we threw at him. You mentioned Ray Ingram, he had a bit of a spell, wasn't particularly great. As I remember, Craig Russell had a loan spell with us for a bit, we just after Horton took over. Michael Brown, um, he was our manager a few years ago, um, good player for us, even when he was like in his late 30s, took over as manager. Least said about that, the better, really. <laughs> you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>